0: Welcome to the AOL Podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message.
1: Let's get into the Word, right? Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come before you tonight. We just thank you for the day that you've given us. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, no matter whether the wind blows, whether it is dry, or whether it snows, or whether it, rains we're still going to rejoice because this is the day you made for us and thank you father for allowing us to be in this place tonight thank you for your word that's going to be imparted to us through the spirit of god and father i just pray that we have eyes to see and ears to hear the things that the spirit of god is trying to tell us and that we will listen with open ears we will listen with anointed ears we will listen and do the things and apply them to our lives that we see written in the word tonight so father i just thank you for each person that's here tonight with the hunger Uh, a hunger for the for the bread of life and a hunger to be in your presence and a hunger to be in the assembly of your people father and so father we just give you the praise and the glory for tonight we thank you for what's going to happen we thank you for everything that you've given to us everything that you do for us thank you for the healing in our bodies and father we just especially lift up uh john lucero tonight father for the things that he's him and carmen are going through father and father you know their needs you know everything that's going on and so father we just pray for favor we pray for healing We pray for uh, doors to open. You're the one that opens doors that no one can shut and shuts doors that no one can open. So, Father, we pray for that in their lives, for that to take place tonight and and, uh, continue to complete healing and restoration in John. We thank you for the progress we've already seen. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Thank you for all things, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lift up your Bible and let's say our pledge. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am, I can do what it says I can do, and I can have what it says I can have. I am about to be taught from the everlasting and incorruptible seed of the Word of God, and I will never be the same, I'll never ever be the same again, amen, and amen, amen. All right. Let's hop right into it, because we've got, we got a good one, a long one tonight. We're going to cover four churches, so we're going to have a few of them. We're going to have a few of them run bunny trails tonight, so we, yeah, I hope you brought your 12-gauge shotgun, because you might have to shoot him. <laughs> I promise you we'll get out of here before um, Survivor is over and before the amazing race starts, so if y'all are fans of that, you can. <laughs> Hope you had it on record. <laughs> All right, remember, the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. And who is the main thing? Jesus. Jesus. We lift him up every time, I hope, when we come into this place. Recap from last week. In our last lesson, we began looking at the personal letters from Jesus to the seven first-century churches represented by the lampstands in the vision in chapter 1. This is the second part of the instructions given to John in verse 19. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So we're looking at the things which are. Keep in mind, these letters to the churches are just as re- relevant to us today as the word of the churches 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The condemnations and the commendations, the warnings and the promises, are all applicable to the 21st century church. This, the, uh, the letters will remain relevant until this dispensation of grace is over. And when does the dispensation of grace, is it over? When is it over? Anybody want to answer? It ends at the end of tribula- at, the, at the end of tribulation, when Jesus comes back with all the saints. That's when the actual tri- dispensation of grace, or the church age, as it's called, uh, that's what we're living in right now, the church age. And it'll go on through, even though the church will be raptured the dispensation of grace will still be applicable over the seven years. It's just a matter of it's going to be difficult with the church removed and the Spirit of God uh, not in place like he was the the restrainer. But anyway, that's another word. So we covered the letters to the church at Ephesus, at Smyrna, and at Pergamos or Pergamum in that lesson. Last week, uh, tonight, we're going to cover the last four letters to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, in Laodicea. So let's start with letter number four to the church in Thyatira. It says, stay true. So we'll read Revelations 2, 18 through 29. If you want to turn to that and keep your Bible open, I encourage you, if you got a pen, there might be some words I want you to underline or circle just so you'll have reference to them to come back. You'll you'll have it up on, on the screen to read, but I mean, you might want to, some of these you might want to uh, highlight or, or uh, identify. But anyway, Uh, Starting in verse 18, and the angel of the church in Thyatira, of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation until they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now... To you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast, underline that, hold fast, if you would, if you're working with your pen, hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations." He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like, potter's ves- like the potter's vessels. Also, as all, I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, as we leave Pergamum, we move inland to Thyatira. Natris itself has marked out this road, a very easy path to Thyatira, conducive for communication between one valley and the other. In ancient times, this was one of the chief travel routes of Asia Minor. Thyatira sat in this long pass, a city built for defense, not with uh, physical towers or or walls, but with the elite Roman guard stationed there. This This embedded safety with the Roman guard, of course, stationed there, also yielded many guild headquarters and became the center of industries for metal workers, potters, tanners, Weavers, robe makers, and dyers guilds. Lydia, the seller of purple, who was the first to turn to Christ in Europe, came from here. And just uh, Acts sixteen fourteen gives us a little snippet of what went on there. But this is what it says in those two verses. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. This is Luke, the writer in Acts, and talking about uh, when in Paul's one of Paul's journeys. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she per- persuaded us. So anyway, Lydia was one of the first converts from, if not the first, from Europe. Lydia's purple uh, cloth that she made or the dye that she made is today known as turkey red, a dye made from, plant, from a plant that grows in this area. And see, that's what I told you, that uh, they were uh, dye makers, weavers, robe makers, Um, and such as that, and and Lydia, she was one of those. And we'll talk more about uh, the trade guilds here in a little bit because it becomes important to know how that fits into this uh, situation here at the church at Thyatira. The church at Thyatira represent the historical age of the church called Romanism, which most times is a derogatory term for the Roman Catholicism, uh, dominating the dark, Dark Ages from A.D. 590 to approximately A.D. 15. Remember, we talked about the churches representing a certain historical period in, in, in time. This period pictures the, God of, uh, the, pictures the Son of God in judgment. His eyes are like flame of fire. <clears throat> they were eyes that looked with penetrating judgment, ser- searching the depths of the heart. His feet are like fine brass or burnished bronze in some translations, which emphasizes his purity because brass is pure and highly refined. And if you remember the picture, it says fine brass, but some translations say it's almost like it's a white hot brass. In other words, it's glowing brass. It's so refined and it's so pure that it's actually glowing. It's, it, it gives a, the appearance of gold, but it's fine brass because brass or bronze represents uh, judgment in, in most places in the Bible. It also emphasized uh, which him, his feet are like fine brass or burnished bronze in some translations, which emphasizes his purity because brass is pure, and highly refined. It also emphasizes his steadfastness because brass was the strongest known metal in the ancient world, and feet like fine brass would be str- his feet, and feet like fine brass would be strong and unmovable. So Christ is judging this church when he's looking at it with eyes of, like a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze or fine brass. However, he also commends them. Often it's thought that the Roman Church during the Dark Ages is to be condemned wholeheartedly, but check your history, there was a lot of good happening too. The Lord Jesus says, "I see everything you've done for me, including your love and faith, your service and persistence. Yes, very presence. Very impressive, you get better every day. Well, you know, the passage where it says right there, it says, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. So that means that's that's what he's saying right there. Your works are getting better every day. So actually, you're maturing in your works. So this is a church that's been doing good works for a while. Jesus had six words of commendation for this church where many believers believe, many true believers had a personal love of Christ, which they demonstrated in their good works. The Apostle James had something to say about works. He says in James 2.18, he says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works, and he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See, the good works were the credentials of real believers. Many lived spotless lives and by their good works adorned the doctrine. I love that phrase because in Titus 2, 19, uh, 2, 9 through 10, uh, Paul is writing to the to the young uh, uh, preacher at uh, at Crete, Titus, and he says, part of his uh, letter says says this to him. He says, Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good f- fidelity, which means honesty, showing all good f- fidelity and honesty, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now, that's an interesting word, that where it says adorn the gospel. The word adorn in Greek is kosmeo, where the English word cosmetics comes from. It means properly to beautify, having the right arrangement or sequence by ordering. In other words, things are in order, to adorn, make compellingly attractive, very appealing, inviting, and awesomely gorgeous. And I thought about two th- scriptures that come to mind quickly on that is Proverbs twenty-five eleven. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. You know it's a beauty, it's a beautiful thing when you say something to somebody. That's a, a fit word for that situation that they're in right there, and so to them it lo- it looks great, like apples of gold in the settings of silver. And then Matthew five sixteen, Jesus says, uh, "Let your lights sh- let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." So see what he's saying right there when he says your 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 uh, your good works will adorn the gospel of Christ the doctrine of, the gospel, of, of God and says your good works are going to beautify the gospel and glorify God. So when you're doing good works, people see that and it's, it does something about they say. You know, it gives glory to God and also uh, confirms and beautifies the gospel in, in these things. So I thought it was a great word right there. The church of Thyatira was a church that loved the Lord. Their faith in Jesus Christ was, main, was the mainspring that turns the hands of works and love their patience increased as did their works. All of these virtues, good works, love, faith, ministry, patience, and increasing fruit are produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. There's one frightful charge of condemnation that he said you've tolerated Jezebel. Now Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab in the Old Testament and had brought paganism from the Canaanite religion into the northern kingdom of Israel. Her name is used here probably symbolically for a local woman in the Th- Thyatira church who evidently had a reputation as a teacher and a prophetess and was allowed to teach error, error leading people into literal and spiritual uh, fornication. Now some even some uh, writers even say that 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 lady Jezebel or the one he's pointing out as Jezebel could have inv- been even the pastor's wife or the bishop's wife or whoever was there. So, anyway, it's just because she was called a prophetess, and she was a teacher, and a prof—you uh, know—had uh, 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 a reputation. But anyway, that's just some said that. So, like the historical period of the Dark Ages, which just this church represents, what happens when pagan practices and idolatry are mingled with Christian works and worship in the church? That's what—that's what Jezebel or this Jezebel brought uh, to this church during the Dark Ages. Remember the things that happened during the Dark Ages if you're a history uh, uh, follower. The, pa- the papacy was elevated to a place of secular power. Rituals and church document, doctrine took priority over personal faith in Jesus Christ. Worship of the virgin and, and child and the mass were made a de- definitive part of the church service. Purgatory became a positive doctrine and mass was said for the dead. Bogus doctrinal statements were circulated to give power and rulership to the Pope. So some of the things and some of the heresies, this is when the Roman Catholic Church actually come up uh, during the Dark Ages. And that's why they call it, one of the reasons they call it the Dark Ages is because during that time, people were not given the opportunity to read the Word. The Word was not available to the common people. It was only reserved for uh, clergy or or the the higher-ups, the the administration and church and things like that, so they were not allowed to even read it. It was written in Latin, which was a dying language anyway, and most people couldn't read read Latin, so it was it was uh, put aside from the common people that couldn't read it. I don't think it, it come to, it, it wasn't made available to them until many, many years later, but uh, some of the heresies, and I'm not bashing the Catholic church. I'm sure there are born again people in the Catholic church. We all know people and maybe some of y'all come from the Catholic church, but they have some wild, wild, actually things that can go back to paganism. You know, uh, some of the heresies at the Roman church that began during the dark ages, these are things that were just, just listed and this is just a partial list. One of them was setting up the Pope as a representative of God, uh, of God on earth. The next was the practice of kissing the Pope's foot which was actually an act of worship so you're worshiping the pope and they do hold the pope in very very high esteem he's supposed to be the uh, the, the representation of god on earth uh, then the, they, they started worshiping images and relics they started use of holy water they canonized dead saints they started fasting on friday and during lent this was every Friday. You know, the, you know the deal. I mean, if you're familiar with Catholics, they fast on Friday. They can't eat meat except for fish. Uh, word. I don't know if that's still a, a, the way or not, but that's one of the things they started. Uh, celibacy of the priesthood. In other words, if you were ordained priest, you could not marry. Prayer beads was started. The Inquisition happened. Queen Isabella, Isabella started that, and they, they were trying to kill everybody, especially the Jews that were not part of the Catholic Church. The sale of indulgences. Uh, where corruption went wild in that transubstantiation that's a large word but all that means is they believe the bread and wine that you take in communion actually turns into the body and blood of Christ that's what they believe it actually as you eat it it actually turns into the real body and the real blood of Christ but anyway so the adoration of the wafer the Bible was forbidden to the lay people uh, the cup of communion was forbidden to the people the doctrine of purgatory uh, come about. Uh, I think everyone knows what purgatory is, a place of the dead where you pray, try to pray them out or do so many different things to, to get them out. The Bible specifically says you can't pray for the dead. Nothing, you can, nothing can change that. And the doctrine of seven sacraments affirmed, that's the baptism, Eucharist, the confirmation, reconciliation, uh, anointing of the sick, marriage, and ordination. That's the seven sacraments that they affirmed. And some of those things are not bad at all except, you know, of course, they start baptism uh, as a child, as a baby. The Ave Maria approved, that's the one where, if you watch Blue Bloods, that's the one where they all say the prayer of Hail Mary, full of grace, and all that. (laughs) So, they're dead in the, yeah, cheers, (laughs) have a glass of whiskey. (laughs) Okay, tradition was granted equal authority with the Bible, and the apocryphal books were added to the Bible. That's why the Catholic Bible has about 20 more books than everybody else's uh immaculate conception of mary doctrine you know mary was birthed uh, free from original sins what they say the infallibility of the pope declared the assumption of the virgin mary where she is assumably had was resurrected glorified and taken bodily into heaven mary proclaimed the mother of the church and on and on so you can see all those things right there those are totally unbiblical they're not biblically supported and those, those are things that prom, come from a lot of, actually when you trace those out, a lot of those things come from uh, pa- pagan practices, so they're, they they go back to pagan. But anyway, back to uh, Jezebel. As Jezebel killed Naboth, this is in the story in First uh, in Kings 18 and 19, you can go back and read that, and persecuted God's prophets, so the Roman church instituted the Inquisition during this same historical period. So uh, look up Inquisition, it'll give you a a frightening history of what happened uh, to the Jews and and, uh, other people during that time. Part of the reason that America was discovered happened as a result of the Inquisition. This uh, Jezebel spoken of here was seducing them away from the truth, in sharp contrast to Lydia, who we talked about already, also from Thyatira, who was the first to turn to Christ. Yet Christ said he gave her time talking about Jezebel, he gave her time and space to repent, but she wouldn't. He was showing mercy by giving her and those that followed and those that tolerated her time to either change or to remove her, but it did not happen. In other words, he was saying, you either repent or you either remove her, the church would remove her, but see, the church didn't remove her. So Jesus is dealing with three groups of people concerning this spirit of Jezebel and this woman. One was those that compromised with her and followed the, and practiced her pagan doctrines. The, others, the other was those that tolerated the compromise and the compromisers. In other words, they the ones that tolerated. They might not have participated, but they tolerated it. Or they were the ones that were actually the compromisers and went along with it. And then those that remained faithful and did not tolerate the doctrine or compromise. So you, you probably ought to note, write this down. Tolerance and compromise are enemies to the truth. I'm not saying that's etched in stone on everything, but most of the time, tolerance and compromise are enemies to the truth. That's a, that's a worthwhile saying right there. So, uh, Jesus pronounces Jezebel's judgment and judgment on all who rebel against him unless they repent. He will lay them low. He wants all the churches to know that he is able to see beyond appearances right into every motive. That's why we say he has eyes like, that's why the Bible says he has eyes like a flame of fire. All our thoughts, feelings, and purposes are seen by him. As written in the letter, I am he who searches, examines the minds and the hearts. That's in 223. He uh, he discerns our entire beings and will reward our judgment according to what we deserve. To the rest in, in Thyatira who didn't get sucked into Satan's schemes, who didn't worship a parody of the gospel, uh, who didn't think they were spiritual superiors. Jesus promised no other heavy burden. He knows our hearts and knows what we can stand. <clears throat> um, let me just give you a little quick rabbit trail here. Get your shotgun out. Thyatira was not a particularly special religious city, but this happens to do with Jezebel, so I want to show you how... These teachings and paganism and things of Jezebel um, could make a difference in this church, and why there was, t- why there could, why you'd think, why, are, why is there tolerance? Why why do people tolerate tolerate things, and why are they why are they compromising so many things? So listen to this. This is from uh, William Barclay's uh, comp- uh, comments or commentaries. He said Thyatira had no special religious significance. It was the center of either Caesar worship or Greek worship. Its local hero God was called. Well, I won't read that part. But anyway, it was certainly no threat of persecution. Hold, was was hung over the Thyatira church. What then was the problem and the danger in Thyatira? We know less about Thyatira than any other of the other seven cities. We are therefore seriously handicapped in trying to reconstruct the situation. The one thing we do know about Thyatira is that it was a great commercial center. We talked about that earlier. It was especially a center of dying, of the dying industry. And of, of the trade in woolen goods, it was from Thyatira that Lydia, the seller of purple, came. We saw that from the inscriptions that have been discovered. We learned that Thyatira had an uh, extraordinary number of trade guilds. That's what I said. We'd come back to these. These trade guilds were associations of the people employed in certain trades for their mutual profit and pleasure. It's kind of like a, uh, We find that there were. Uh, we find that there were. In Thyatira, guilds of workers in wool, leather, linen, and bronze, makers of outer garments, dyers, potters, bakers, and slave dealers. Herein, we think, was the problem of the church in Thyatira. To refuse to join one of these trade guilds would be much the same as to to refuse to join a trade union today. Anybody would say amen there? I mean, it's pretty tough when you belong to or working for a company and you're, you're not a part of that trade union. They make it hard on you. It would mean that the person who refused to join had given up all hope of commercial prosperity and had, in fact, given up all prospect of commercial existence. Why, then, should a Christian not join one of these guilds? These guilds had two characteristics. First, they held common meals. These common meals would very often be held in a temple. See, you got to realize on these trade guilds, nearly every trade guild that was there had what they called a patron god or a patron deity. And so, like, for the the trade that Pastor Travis is in, forging and shoes and things like that, I think the patron god for that was Vulcan, wasn't it? Because he was, yeah, he was, you know, he's the one that supposedly, um, that's why the volcanoes erupted, because Vulcan was supposedly forging some other big iron thing or whatever like that. But anyway, for for metal workers, uh, Vulcan, I think, was the patron god. So anyway, every one of them had some sort of pagan deity that they they worshipped. So these common meals would often be held in a temple, probably of that pagan uh, deity. Even if they were not held in a temple, they would begin and end with a formal sacrifice to the gods. Keep that in mind, formal sacrifice to the gods. And the meat eaten at them would be meat which had already been offered to idols. Was it possible for a Christian to participate in a meal like that? Second, it has often happened that these communal meals were occasions of drunken revelry and of slack morality was it possible for a Christian to enter into a social occasion like that? I can remember when we lived in Midland. They might have had one up here in uh, Amarillo, but in Midland, big oil field town, you know, Midland, Odessa area was big oil field. They had the the petroleum club, and all the rich petroleum dudes went there, and they did have some wild, from what I understand, I never went because, of course, I'm not rich, but I wasn't an oil man, but I worked in the business, but they, they had wild parties. I mean, No telling what all. I've I've heard some stories. They they were wild. So that's what they had, drunken revelry revelry and the slack morality. Was it possible for a Christian to enter into social occasions like that? Well, the answer, obviously, is probably no, right? Here was the problem at Thyatira. There was no threat of persecution. The threat came from inside the church. Inside the church, there were those who were asking why the Christian should not be a member of a trade guild and why he should sacrifice his business interest by refusing membership? Such people would argue that the Christian was so defended, so defended by the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ, that he could he would take no harm by sharing in the ceremonies and feasts of the trade guilds. Where have you heard that before? In other words, this woman addressed, or th- in other words, in Thyatira there was a strong movement led by this woman addressed as Jezebel, which pled for compromise with the world and the world standards in an interest of business and commercial prosperity. The answer of the risen Christ is unequivocal. With such things, the Christian must have nothing to do. Right? Agreed? That's why. And so when we're talking about Jezebel, because she was the one, she was teaching things, uh, as the word says over here, uh, part of the scripture that we read, she said... Uh, she, she the prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed by idols so obviously that that tracks right along with that, that that's what she was talking about. okay, go ahead and eat it's not going to harm you. you're you're, you're uh, protected by grace and you've you're, you got the power of the Holy Spirit and you can resist that it's, no, it's okay but you know if you go back to uh, to the uh, that that was a problem in the early church and it was addressed by the Jerusalem Council in Acts. Uh, chapter 15, I believe, when they were talking about uh, circumcision, I think I've got that in here somewhere. Yeah, and uh, remember, they were talking about a certain. Uh, you know, some of them were saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. So uh, Paul and and Barnabas went back to the Jerusalem Council and they talked about it, and they decided they made this Jerusalem decree that for them to say that to lay upon no greater burden than these necessary things. This was a message they were supposed to take back, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. So that kind of gives you an idea why they might have been uh, tempted to eat of uh, meat, uh, meat that was uh, sacrificed to idols. So just I thought that would be interesting to throw in there because that was specifically addressed in that part of it. So uh, anyway, but hold fast. Verse 25, what you have till I come. So I told you to write, write uh, to uh, put an underline on that. And the reason I said that is because it's something to think about. What What do you mean? What do you have? What are you going to do when you hold fast to something? Well, you hold fast to something that somebody's trying to take away from you. Someone is trying to take something from you. That's what uh, um, Brother Hagen told Billy Brim one time. She asked that question of him. She said, "What do you mean, hold fast? What are you to- talking about?" And he said, "Well." If, if Jesus tells you to hold fast to something, that means there's somebody out there trying to steal it from you. So when he says hold fast, something's trying to take it away from you, a temptation or the devil or doing something or whatever like that. Hold fast, and you'll see that several times in these, uh, in these letters. Hold fast because someone is trying to take something from you. So obviously Christ is beginning to say to his church, I'm coming to take you out of here, and because of this you should stand fast for me. Overcome the false teachers and the works done only by effort and not by the holy spirit to his church jesus promised to give power over the nations that's that's in verse uh, 26 uh, see also 1 corinthians 6:2 you can read that on your own go back and a rule and and a rule with a rod of iron referring to the millennial reign of christ in which we as believers will all share when we persevere like this jesus said i will give him the morning star he himself is the bright morning star we see that in revelation 22:16 and his coming for his own, and he, his coming for his own at the rapture is the hope of the church. Titus 2:13 says, uh, "He look, we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ." Y'all looking for the hope and the glorious appearing? I hope so. Keep looking to the east; it's going to happen one of these days. In the twinkling of an eye. Not everyone who gets this message will really hear it. The children of Jezebel won't. But the true children of the Lord Jesus will hear for the Holy Spirit opens the blood tipped ear. We must be very careful- careful in our study of God's Word that we not run ahead of his spirit. Let him be our teacher, only the Spirit of God can make his word real to you and me and I underline the blood tipped ear because that's that's part of the thing you need to know what that means uh because but I think it's it's very appropriate when we're talking about he said he's always saying let him let uh him who has ears hear what the Spirit of the Lord says. In the, the blood-tipped ear, the meaning of that is, it goes back to Exodus 20, 29-20, when uh, the priest was being consecrated for the first time. And um, there's, a, there's a ritual that they were going to go through. And part of that ritual is, is this right here. Uh, he's given it to uh, uh, Moses, and, and it refers to, uh, to Aaron and to his sons. And he said, Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood, And put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of the right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. What this means in the ordination ceremony of the priest, the blood of a ram was applied to the priest's ear to signify that he would hear only the word of God and to his thumb to signify he would rightly perform the duties of the priest and to the toe to signify he would walk in the path of righteousness. So see, we're all part of the royal priesthood. We're all priests now to the living God, and so that all applies to us. So hopefully your blood-tipped ear, every one of us, anybody that's a covenant person, we're co- we under the new blood covenant of Jesus Christ, and we have blood-tipped ears, right? Letter number five to the church in Sardis. Wake up. And to the angel of the cho- church in Sardis, Right, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works and that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church is Sardis met in a city set on the edge of a steep mountain with only one entrance up the cliff. All Sardis had to do was put a guard at that one place to watch the city. It was thought throughout the ancient world to be impregnable. The pastor, during his time of of talking to us about uh, and preaching to us about the seven churches, he he uh, brought this uh, the story up, and I want to I want to re, uh, retell the story about why this city was considered impregnable. Uh, this city was also considered uh, because they were impreg- because they were on a high. A steep mountain and there was only one entrance that they were they, they become soft and uh, neglectful and they had a lack of discipline and dedication so it was the doom of sardis on a few different occasions the greek historian herodotus tells the story of the fall of sardis in days of cyrus i'm on another rabbit trail by the way so i'm sorry you just have to listen king cyrus came to sardis remember king cyrus was the persian uh king uh, so he came to Sardis and found the position of the city, this was back in the 700s or that era, I think, I'm not sure exactly the date, but anyway, he came to Sardis and found the position of the city ideally suited for defense. There seemed to be, be no way, way to scale the steep, steep cliff walls surrounding the city. So he offered a rich reward to any of the soldiers in his army who could figure out a way to get up to the city. <coughs> One of the soldiers studied the problem carefully. And as he looked, he saw a soldier defending Sardis drop his helmet down the cliff walls. He watched as that soldier climbed down a hidden trail to recover his helmet. He marked the location of the trail and led a detachment of troops up at that night. They easily climbed the cliffs, came to the actual city walls, and found them unguarded. The soldiers of Sardis were so confident in the natural defenses of their city, they felt no need to keep a diligent watch. So the city was easily conquered. Curiously, the same thing almost happened almost 200 years later when Antiochus attacked and conquered the overconfident city that didn't set a watch. So that happened in 549 B.C. is what it says, the Persian king, had ended the rule of, of Croesus by scaling the cliffs, and then it happened in 214 B.C. where the armies of Antiochus the Great captured the city by the same method, almost identical on there. So that just tells us we need to be watchful at all times. What did he tell the church? He, t- he told the church over here, he said, he said watch. Where was it? Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, for they're about ready to die. So that's what that, where, where that points to that. Today, the ruins of the temple of Sibel, or Diana of Ephesus and Apollo, can still be seen atop the mountain. Here, Diana was the goddess of the moon and Apollo was the god of the sun. They were brother and sister who, who modeled a corrupt, sexual, vicious style of worship. Jesus presents himself to the church at Sardis as the one having the seven spirits of God. That is, he sent the Holy Spirit into the world. The seven spirits of God just represents the complete and fullness of the Spirit of God. And that's why it said the seven spirits. of. There's not seven holy spirits, but the seven spirits of God are. And it, we can find that in another scripture in Isaiah, but I didn't write that down. But anyway, uh, moving on. That is, he sent the Holy Spirit into the world, which was we desperately need today. Too often we think we need methods and all kinds of band, band-aid courses for uh, believers that we think will solve our problems. But what we really need is to get to Jesus Christ, who only the Holy Spirit can make real and living to us. In the panorama of the church history, Sardis represents the Protestant church between A.D. 517 and A.D. 1800. In other words, the Reformation started with the Reformation. Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses onto the church door at Wittenberg, Germany, and suddenly the church takes off into the beginning of a great missionary movement. Following the dark night of the dark ages, the Holy Spirit was still in the world doing his work. He moved in the hearts of people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and many others. Verse three, three—I uh, mean, Chapter 3, verse 1 says, I know your works. The Lord commends this church for how their faith produced good works, even when the church as a structure is dead. Many Protestant churches today just go through the form. They may be dealing all the time, building all the time, and people may come on Sunday mornings. Their name is alive, but the church is dead. There is recovery of some of the critical doctrines, like there is recovery of some of the critical doctrines like the authority of the Word of God, the total depravity of man, and the justification by faith. but in many other ways, the church did not recover. Instead, many of our conservative churches are improving people and using cosmetics on the carnal nature, which would be more like easy grace. Thinking that a few little rules and regulations will enable you to live the Christian life. Also, instead of believing by grace through faith alone, which we see in Ephesians 2.8, they preach that you have to do something in order to be saved. These are some of the things which characterize Protestantism today is very far from its original position. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Gives kind of an idea of what, what, uh, what he's saying right here. He says, having a form of godliness but dis- denying its power, and from such people turn away. I encourage you to go back and read actually 3 verses 1 through 5, but this, this was just the tail end of that. To them, Jesus says, be careful, be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. So this is the, work, the second word of condemnation, a word of warning, which meant something specific. In Sardis, Protestantism as a whole has turned away from looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. We built up systems that certain things must, must be fulfilled before he can come, but he could come in the next moment or tomorrow. His imminent return is what we are looking for. Sardis didn't know when the enemy was coming, and we don't know when the Lord, Christ is coming. We have no way of knowing it at all. In view of the fact that the rapture could take place at any moment, the church is to be alert. That's what when we say we're supposed to be watchful. The date is not set, nor even the period in which he will come. The church needs to be constantly on the alert for his coming, looking for the blessed hope. As we said in Titus 2.13, You see anyone who can, can, can make ready for a fixed hour, but you must always be ready for an unexpected hour. The Lord Jesus is saying to Sardis and the modern church that we should constantly be on alert. I'll, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come says in verse 3. Remember Sardis, Sardis was built high upon a mountaintop which it was impossible to scale except at one point. But it was captured two times. What happened? There was no one watching. The Lord says to the church at Sardis, don't go to sleep, wake up and watch out. And he could he could come at any moment. People of Sardis didn't know when the church or when the enemy was coming and we do not we do not know when the Lord Jesus is coming. But we can discern by the signs we see today that the time is near. Would you say that? Would you say an amen about that? Yeah. And now for the Lord's commendation. A few people or remnant still walked with the Lord. They lived godly lives. The Lord said they are worthy. Protestantism, Protestantism, or just I want to just say the modern church today, has its, other than the Catholic, church has its saints who love the word who are faithful to him even in these days and who stand by the word of God they don't play around with sinful things to these overcomers the Lord said their names are indelible in the book of life and he will present them by name to his father and the angels of course these overcomers never succeed out of their own strength cleverness or ability but only by the blood of Jesus this statement in Revelation to Sardis that he will not blot out their names from the book of life Raises the question, is it possible for you to be in the book of life and then have your name blotted out? Can you lose your salvation? The Lord Jesus said, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You can see that in John 10, 28. Again and again throughout Scripture, we have the assurance that that God keeps us saved. So what might this mean? The book of Revelation places great importance to this book of life. You can see that in all those scriptures that are listed there in the names that are recorded or not recorded in it. What is the book of life? Some suggest that all names of everyone physically born are recorded in the book of life because Jesus died for everyone. Others suggest that it is the names of those who will live with God forever in heaven. But the way you remain in the book of life is that you are born again by grace through faith. Everyone is given the responsibility and maturity to choose to accept or reject this gift from God if they refuse it through through to their deaths their names are blotted out. They didn't want the gift. The important thing is whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you receive the gift of eternal life by being born again in the Spirit, you will never lose that salvation. It is God's gift to give you to everyone who wants it. And I say that with a, with a qualification when I say if you, if you were truly born again in the Spirit, you will never lose that salvation. Now, there are some people that are born, they go through the acts, and they they say the prayer, and they and, uh, but they're never changed because they're, all they're doing is giving mental assent to saying that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I know we we say that, you know, you just, you just have to pay, pray this prayer. But you can't say it and pray it and mean it unless the Holy Spirit is acting upon your heart. Isn't that right, Pastor? So anyway, that's I just want to qualify that. And that's a whole deal. If you got deeper questions about the book of life, please refer to Pastor Travis. He's... <laughs> He's been to Bible school. I haven't. <laughs> anyway, Revelation 2015. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely when you can put it off from somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Revelation 2015. This is, the, this is the part nobody wants to hear. If you, is anyone not found in the book of, written? In, if anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, and we'll see that at the great white throne judgment. So, anyway, go, go read that whole chapter, and we'll get to it eventually. Listen to the Spirit's voice speaking through the Word of God, the message of Christ to His church today. Our travels to the seven... So, so I'm, that just finishes right there. Listen to the Spirit's voice speaking through the Word of God, the message of Christ to His church today for Sardis. Uh, so, our travels to the seven churches of Asia now reach their final two steps. These messages to the churches, blocked off into historical periods, are largely fulfilled but our final two churches still exist today. They represent two kinds of churches. The church of Philadelphia stands by the word of God and will soon be raptured and the church represented by the church at Laodicea has long since departed from the word of God and from the person of Christ and is moving deeper into apostasy. This church will eventually go into the great tribulation. I read a commentary about Laodicea and it, it, this this person that's writing this said, the church at Laodicea is going to be that church when the rapture occurs, well, they're going to kind of turn around. They're probably not going to be missing too many members uh, because of the way their church is. But anyway, they're going to look and then they're going to come back to church on Sunday the next week after the rapture and business as usual because they still haven't got it. They're still... I guess you could still say they were woke, couldn't you say, Pastor? (laughs) Letter number six to the church in Philadelphia. better move on. Stay true. Uh, Starting in in, uh, verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, and I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength that no one shuts and shuts and no one opens i know your works see i have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have little for you have a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name indeed i will make those of the synagogue of satan who say they are jews and are not but lie indeed i will make them come and worship before your feet and know that i have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere i also will keep you from the hour of trial we shall come upon the whole earth, a whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast that you have what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall, he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can still visit the city of Philadelphia today in Asia Minor. Now, now, it's, now it is called al uh, in Turkey. This uh, beautiful congregation represents the revived church because it still teaches and is hungry for the Word of God. There is actually a church there, a Christian church. Historically, it dates from the beginning of the 19th century to the rapture. Uh, a side note: Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love, but it not did not come from the Bible. Rather, it was named uh, by uh, actually it should be it was named by the his by Eumenes uh, for his brother Atlas the second in great love and in, in great love and loyalty for his brother. Uh, he was the king of Perga- Pergamum. Uh, Eumenes, yeah, it was named for Atlas II. He, that was the brother of Eumenes, and he was the king of Pergamon, so he, he, he named the city, city Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. It's an interesting fact that the two churches Jesus, Jesus didn't condemn are places still in existence today. That would be Smyrna and Philadelphia. They still exist today as viable uh, cities. In each of these seven messages to the church, the Lord tells us something of himself as the glorified Christ, our great high priest, in chapter 1. Here in Philadelphia, he reminds us that he is holy, holy at his birth, holy at his death, and holy in his resurrection, and holy today in his present priestly office. There's some scriptures there that you can read uh, to confirm that. He is also true, meaning genuine and complete. He also hints about his regal claims as ruler of this universe, he who has the key of of David. And that even today, he is sovereign, sitting at his father's right hand, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. The church at Philadelphia represents churches the world over, regardless of their labels, which still remain true to the Word of God. Does this church remain true to the Word of God? It does, absolutely. The church sees their works The fruit, now, I don't say that to be puffed up, but I believe our church does preach the uncompromised word of God every chance it gets and every time we have the doors open. So I believe this is is a part of the Philadelphian church as we see it today. The Lord sees their works, the fruit, and the lives of his believers. If your life doesn't produce fruit, then something is wrong. These works don't save you but are good evidence that you are saved. Verse 8 says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you. An open door which no one can shut. The Lord is the one who opens the doors of opportunity for you to know him and his word. And nobody hinders it. He intends for you to move into him and then out to the world to make him known through those doors. They go together. We have little power, but he blesses us. This church in Philadelphia was, was humble. It had no impressive numbers, buildings, or programs. But the Lord said he will do the counting. In a day of unbelief and skepticism, the Lord Jesus commends this church because it stands on his word and remains true to him by proclaiming Jesus as God and his substitutionary death for sinners. The Lord Jesus says that even the enemies of the Philadelphian church will know he loves this church. The true Bible-believing church lasted longer than any of the other seven churches mentioned in the Revelation. Uh, Perhaps that was due to the Lord's praise of their patience in keeping the word of God. They waited for Jesus' coming patiently. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. He says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So that's a good, that's a good uh, phrase right there, a good um, scripture right there to, to tell you that he's going to keep us from the wrath to come which is the tribulation time. So we're, we're talking about the rapture there. In our present century, the doctrine of end times or eschatology has developed more than in all previous centuries combined. People all over the world are more interested in the second coming of Christ, especially in the light of the recent events in Israel. I just had to throw that word in because that's what's happening is lots of people are more interested. Christ's final word of encouragement to his church is that it will not pass through the great tribulation. The church is to be removed from the world which is its comfort and hope, such is the patient waiting of the church, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's found in Hebrews 6.12. The church is not anticipating the great tribulation with all its judgments. You can see that in John uh, 5.24 and the other revelation references there, but rather it is looking for Jesus Christ to call them out at the time of the rapture. And when he comes, it will be quickly, meaning suddenly. This is the promise that is the hope of the church. The church is not looking for a great tribulation period, nor where are we told to gird up our loins, grit our teeth, and clench our fists because the great tribulation is coming and will we certainly be going through it. Jesus never says that, but instead looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus then gives John a vision for what our identity and home will look like and the access he will have in his name uh, to our new city. Well, let me let me just give you a, a, a little quick story about the Philadelphia, uh, so you'll know some background on that. And you know, it says it's the Church of the Open Door, and it, it's a, and it says the, the reference to that. See, when when Christ is speaking to the churches, he knows exactly what's going on in that church. He knows the history of that church, the geography of that church, and why they were why they were built. He knows everything. So it's not like he's writing this ret- letters ra- randomly. He could have. Why didn't he write? No one. Why, why didn't he write? He who opens to no one shuts and shuts and no one opens to any of the other churches. Well, there's a reason this one was written for that purpose right there. Philadelphia was founded for a very special purpose and a special with special intention. It was situated where the borders of Mycia, Lydia, and Phrygia, the three provinces uh, considered the wilderness provinces to the west. It was a border town, but it was not as a garrison town uh, that Philadelphia was founded, for there was little danger there. It was founded with the deliberate intention that it might be a missionary of the Greek culture and the Greek language to Lydia and Phrygia. So well it did its job uh, and do its work that by A.D. 19 the Lydians had forgotten their own Lydian language and were all but Greeks. Uh, so it's written that the the letter uh, the center for the for the they were the center for the diffusion of the Greek language and Greek letters. Uh, so. That is what the risen Christ means when he speaks of the open door that is set before Philadelphia. Three centuries before Philadelphia had, had been given an open door to spread Greek ideas in the land beyond. And now there, was, there has come to it another great missionary opportunity, an open door to carry to men who never knew it the message of the love of Jesus Christ. That's what the Philadelphian church is supposed to do today is to carry uh, the message of the love of Jesus Christ to. That's why our church wants to be a, a church that goes, works outside of the walls of the church and into the community so but philadelphia this is interesting here but philadelphia had when it it applies to this next paragraph that we'll read it was a, that uh, had a great characteristic was that left its mark upon the letter it was built on the edge of a great plain. it was had great volcanic it was a great volcanic plain which bore the marks of lava and the ashes of volcanoes then extinct that had its advantage such land is fertile and philadelphia was the center of a great a great grape growing area, many uh, vineyards and things like that out there. But that also had its perils, that these perils left their mark more deeply on Philadelphia than any other city. So it was built around a lot of volcanic activity or where there had been. In AD 17 there was a great earthquake and the earthquake which destroyed Sardis and ten other other cities happened. In the other cities the earthquake was over in the door and, and done with, but in Philadelphia It says the tremors went on for years. Uh, Strabo, which was a Greek writer, he describes Philadelphia as a city full of earthquakes. Now, it often happens that when an earthquake shock comes, people meet it with courage and with self-possession. But it is frequently the case that ever recurring minor shocks over a long period drive people to sheer panic. That is what happened in Philadelphia. He describes the scene. Shocks were an everyday occurrence. Great gaping cracks appeared in the walls of the houses. Now one part of the city was in ruins, now another. Most of the population lived outside of the city in huts and feared even to go into the city streets, lest they should be killed by falling stones or in masonry. In other words, they, they lived outside of the city. They come to the city and did business in the city, but they left because they didn't want to stay there overnight. Those who still dared to live in the city were reckoned mad. So these terrible days in Philadelphia were never wholly forgotten. The people in it ever waited subconsciously for the ominous tremors of the ground Ready to flee for their lives to open spaces. People in Philadelphia well knew that the gratefulness and security lay in the promise that they would go out no more. A promise like that meant for them the security their hearts desired. I wanted to read that to you because it says in this next paragraph, Jesus gives John a a vision for a new identity and home. We will look what and home will look like, and the access we will have in His name to our new city. This is the passport and visa of the believer that will. Enable us, as citizens of heaven, to pass freely on the Earth, uh, freely on this Earth and anywhere in God's uni- universe. We are told we will not go out anymore. So what he's saying is, uh, he knew that this city, and he also said, remember, he said, you'll be a, a house in the, in the or uh, you'll be a pillar in the house of God." Says, these are all references to these people. They would know what he was talking about, because they would know that a strong pillar would hold up a, a house in a, even in a quake, and also you would not, not have to go out. You would have to not go out no more, meaning that you could have that security, which would be referencing the eternal security we have and that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, uh, like Psalm 23, 6 says. But with God's passport, we can go everywhere. This is all wonderfully and blessedly true. God will always give us a new name for himself as a sign of our personal relationship with him. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and will write on him my new name. Let me read this one more thing. Another rabbit trail here. Just this, and this goes along with what the pastor's been preaching about marking. (coughs) Um, Just as the master puts a mark upon a slave, to show that the slave belongs to them just as the sheep masters have their own brand upon their sheep that all men may recognize him as theirs so god will put his mark upon his faithful ones so i mean that's just a reference to that that marking that we're going to have at the, at the at the at the time he said i will write on the on him in other words we're going to be marked because we're going to people are going to know gonna, we have the name of my god the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which Come down from heaven and uh, from my God, and I will write on him my new name. So it's going to be no doubt you're going to be identified as a believer. Listen what your heart, your whole heart, listen with your whole heart to what the Spirit says is saying to the churches. Letter number seven to the church in Laodicea Get on fire for God. Starting in verse 14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten and therefore be therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come to him and dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we come to Laodicea, the final stop in our tour of the Roman, of the Asian churches. Sadly, this church is now the apostate church, preferring its own organizations and priorities. Having, the left, having left the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord invites them to repent, but it won't last. It won't, and most everyone in the church will miss the rapture and enter the great tribulation period. Some call Laodicea the city of compromise. Laodicea was in a spectacular place in a great valley where people boasted of great wealth of commerce and of Greek culture. Ancient medicine was curated there, as was the banking industry. The very impressive ruins ruins of two Roman theaters, a large stadium, and three early Christian churches still stand. The city was finally abandoned because of earthquakes and has never been excavated. When Jesus revealed to John what to write to the Laodiceans, he told us a little more about himself. He says, I am the amen, the last word. He will fulfill all the promises of God. This is important because it seems the Laodiceans had rejected the deity of Christ. This is the only place in Scripture where amen is a name. He says, I am the faithful and true witness. He alone is the one who will reveal all and tell all. And finally, he says, I am the beginning of the creation of God, meaning I am the creator. Jesus says to the, to the uh, church at Laodicea, I know you inside out, and I find little to my liking. You're not whole, cold, you're not hot. This has a background and a local meaning for the people in Laodicea for the first century. Situated in a high valley, they had a difficulty getting water. They, the Laodiceans built aqueducts to bring cold water down from the nearby mountains. When it left the heights, it was ice cold, but by the time it made the trip down, it was lukewarm. From the valley, they brought hot water up from the springs, but by the time it got there, it became lukewarm. Also, that that's that's a, that's a story. Um, that is uh, bears out the truth on that because they, to the to the uh, south or to the north of them, there was a place called Hierapolis, which had hot springs. Anybody ever been to uh, Pagosa Springs, and you, the hot springs that are there, and you know what the smell smells like, right? It's pretty rank. Anyway, if you've been to hot springs, so that's what they're talking about. They had hot springs like that from like at Pagosa Springs at at Hierapolis, which was one direction from them. Then at Colossae to the southeast of them where the mountains were, the cool water from the mountains could flow. And so they built two systems of aqueducts from both both places. They were the ones that were supposed to proclaim that they were first city built that had hot and cold running water. That's what they, that was their claim to fame, or one of the claims to fame, but it didn't work out that way. For one thing, the water, like it said, by the time the water got there from the cold, it was down to lukewarm, by the time it got from the hot, it was down to lukewarm, and so it didn't pan out the way, because it was so many miles, it was like 10 or 11 miles to both places, and especially the one from, coming from uh, Hierapolis, which was the hot springs, had that sulfur smell to it, and so it made it kind of a putrid smell, so that's You know, when it come down to being lukewarm, it might not have been so bad when it was hot, but when it was lukewarm, it was very smelly. And, of course, that's what caused the problems. So they brought hot water from the springs, but it was all lukewarm. And when the Lord Jesus said to the Laodicean church, you are neither cold nor hot, they knew exactly what, what he was talking about. They had been drinking the sickening, lukewarm water for years. The Lord Jesus said this church was neither cold nor hot, and he would spit it out of his mouth. So when you drink iced tea, you want it cold, right? And when you drink hot coffee, you want it hot, right? But if either one of them turns out to be not hot or not cold like you want it, then it's tepid, it's not near as desirable. <clears throat> exactly. A cold church has denied every essential doctrine of the faith, prefers its formality, and it ignores uh, the, and opposes the word of God and the gospel of Christ. Hot speaks of those with real spiritual fervor and passion like the ch- Christians in Ephesus, although they were even getting away from their best love, their first and best love. Lukewarm, this is a picture of many churches today in the great denominations that have departed from the faith. They try to stay in the middle of the road, not coming out against the word of God, but not standing strong for it. This is the worst kind of hypocrisy. You're professed Christians. Jesus says, you say you love me. But you don't mean it. Say having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, turn away. Listen to these two passages carefully, because we are living today. Two messages carefully, because we are living today in the time of the Laodicean church and of the Philadelphian church. Both of them, side by side, are those who believe the word of God and follow it, love it, obey it, and those who reject it. Jesus was done with his condemning observation of Laodicean. He says, "You brag. I'm rich." I got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Obviously, that in fact you're pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Because you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy, and I've seen nothing. Have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind. See, it was a banking center. They thought they were rich and didn't need it. But he says you need gold that's refined in fire. That's the true gold. That's the truth. They needed that. There's also a place of of uh, a great. Uh, uh, it was a great uh, place of uh, weaving and, and uh, uh, cloth making or whatever like that. So they that's why he says you you know you're 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 naked because you think you're clothed with this fine woolen stuff that you make here, but it's nothing because you're you're running around naked because you don't have the white raiment of righteousness that you need. And then he says you're you're blind. And one of the things that uh, Laodicea was known for was a a uh, powder. Uh, that was uh, used to cure eye disease or or to heal eyes, and so when he says that, you know, he's he, he's he knows that people know when he says you're truly blind because even though you have the eye salve, you think you have you you think you're wide awake, but you're not. You're blind. So Laodicea believed money was the answer to every problem. They had more of it than the other churches. The church in Smyrna was poor, made up of slaves and poor folk. Yet On the spiritual side of the ledger, the Laodicean church is the wretched one, worse off than any of the seven churches. It is to be pitied because it is spiritually poverty stricken with no study of the word, no love for Jesus, and no witnessing of his saving grace. Yet it is blind to its own true condition. It failed to tell people they were sinners, failed to tell them of sin's consequences, and failed to offer them salvation in Jesus Christ. We are living in Laodicea today. The church is failing to witness to the saving grace of God. not this church, In most churches in this, in this day and time. In this, in this, Jesus' last message to the church, he says, Be hot, get on fire for God, get rid of the lukewarm Christianity, and repent. It's not too late, even for those in this church today, to turn to Christ. Jesus invites anyone to come to him. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, If you hear me, call and open the door. I will come, and, come right in and sit down to supper with you. This speaks of fellowship, of feeding of the word of God, and of coming to know Jesus Christ better. This is a glorious, gracious picture of the Lord Jesus at the heart's door of the sinner, asking to be invited in. He will not crash the door. The Lord Jesus has moved heaven and hell to get to the door of your heart. But when he gets there, he will stop and knock. You will have to open the door to let him in. So here's a summary of the seven letters to the churches. We must be careful in our study of God's Word not to run ahead of Him, but instead let Him be our teacher. If you have a blood-tipped ear, He wants you to hear what He says to to say. He has to say, only the Spirit of God can make the Word of God real to you. Back in the beginning, John's vision, Jesus told him to write down the things which are, and now it's done. He's done that. We have spent time with these seven churches and learned how they relate to the periods in which the church has lived. If we are a member of his church, we are part of this great company. Beginning with the day of Pentecost and coming down to the present hour, this is us, those who trust the Lord Jesus as their Savior. In each of these messages to these churches, the Lord Jesus spoke to that local situation. He also blocked off all of church history, with each church representing a season and together covering the complete life of the church on earth. And each of these messages is a word for us today. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus warns of the danger of drifting from our first and best love and a personal and loving relationship with Jesus Christ. The real test of any believer, especially those who want to serve Him, is not our methods or systems or even our dedication. The one question is, do you love Him? Do you love the Lord Jesus? When you love Him, you will be in a right relationship with Him. But when you drift from Him, it will lead you to lukewarmness. The Lord told the church at Smyrna not to fear suffering. We're frightened of that today. We don't want to pay a price for serving the Lord Jesus, and yet that is sometimes his method. To the church in Pergamum, Jesus warned of incorrect doctrine. To the church at Thyatira, he warned of being tolerant of living like the world, and he asked the church at Sardis if they were even alive. The church in Philadelphia was not, even, was not in any grave danger, but still the Lord told them to be careful to stay true to the faith. Don't let anything deter you from keeping his word. And finally, to the church in Laodicea, the church, he said, professes to be the church, but lacks reality. The Lord Jesus extends a final call to repentance and an invitation to come to Him. So I hope you got something out of that from the seven churches, and and uh, so now we're. Uh, next time we meet, we will get into the things which will take place after this. We've got and the things which are. We're still in living in the time of the things which are. We won't actually be participating in the things which will take place until the rapture but that'll be a glorious day so that'll be great so uh, that's what we'll talk about the next time we'll get together um, and that will be next Wednesday I believe so hope you come back for lesson number five let's pray well father in Jesus name we thank you for the word that come forth today father and we just thank you for everything that you taught us in this word I thank you that we have we have blood-tipped ears. We have sanctified, consecrated ears to hear the Word. We thank you for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that explains to us, and as we ask, she will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, as we leave this place, that we can take these words of assurance, of security, of blessedness, and of all the things that you've taught us, Father, and we can take them out to the world, to share to the world, to do what we are called to do as the church of Philadelphia, to share the love of Jesus Christ with everyone we come in contact to. Help us to be faithful to that. Help us to be watchful, ever watching, and be alert to the things that are happening around us, to be ready, ready and have our garments white, have our garments pressed, have our garments ready, wrinkle free, and ready to to, uh, be raptured into your presence. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. (laughs)
0: Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app,